Hey there, and welcome to the First Missionary Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We're honored you've chosen to join us today. In a few moments, Senior Pastor Alan Miller will launch into this week's teaching. Before that, though, we'd like to encourage you to also check out our website, firstmissionary.net, where you can find out more about what the Lord is doing in our local body and how you can get involved. Now here's Alan with this week's teaching. Okay, so today is a little different. This is not normally how we roll on a Sunday morning. So today's a little different. Today, and it's kind of fitting that my mic doesn't work because I kind of entitled today's message, Unplugged. And if you don't believe me, you can look at my notes. Brother Steve says he's going to try to plug me up. But anyway, so my notes right here, Unplugged. Just Unplugged. So today... There's some things, see, there you go, I told you, I told you, that was kind of almost providential that my mic didn't work, that we're going unplugged today. So today is not a typical Sunday morning for us. This is typically not how we roll. We're going to worship the Lord uh, through our giving at the end of the service today. There's some things that we just need to talk about this morning. There's some folks that, um, I'm just going to go ahead and take this part off. There's some folks that we're going to pray over today. There's some things that we're going to think about. I'm not worried about it. I'm good right here. I'll be like the TV evangelist for a few moments. Hold the mic. Just kidding. Just kidding. Um, some folks we're going to pray over today. Some things that we're just going to talk about this morning. So whatever your normal Sunday morning posture, face, sitting style position, just kick it off for a few moments, okay? Take a breath and let's see how things go today. So today, um, we're going to pray over some guys that um, I think are going to serve a really important role in our body. Uh, we're going to look in 1 Timothy in the biblical text today. We're going to talk about some other texts this morning. But we're going to pray over some guys who I think are going to play a really special role in our body. And when it comes to this, and I think about a servant, I think everyone in the body of Christ is a minister. A lot of times we look at the guys that maybe stand in front and they can't find their mic, and they open up a biblical text and, and they kind of pastor or preach, and a lot of times we think, well, they're the ministers. The reality is that everyone in the body of Christ is a minister. Every single person. So today, you might have came to church and you were thinking, today I'm just a church attender. Well, the reality is that if you're in Christ, you have been blessed with a gift from God's Spirit, not just His Spirit, but a unique expression of His Spirit in your life. And you serve in that, and that makes you a minister. So everyone in the body of Christ is a minister. Not just people who stand in front of you, but all of us. We're all ministers today. We're all servants, every one of us. In some capacity, we've been called to serve. Christ's life in us makes us servants. Today, we're going to identify some servants that are just going to play a unique role in our church. But this does not mean that they have a platform or that they have an office or a calling 
that is altogether different than you or anyone else who serves in the body of Christ. Today, we are going to pray over some men who are going to serve in our church as deacons. And the word deacon just simply means servant. Just servant. But over the last several months, even prior to us moving here about 12 weeks ago, our body and our current guys who serve as deacons felt that we needed some more support in this particular area. So over a long process of praying and and just thinking, okay, God, who are some guys who can serve in this capacity? Who are guys who are already serving? Who are guys that we could call to this special function and just help us in areas that we're not getting help from other people? Who are those guys? So over this long process, there are four guys, four men, who today we are going to commission and pray over to serve, to serve in the special capacity of our church as deacons. When we commission deacons, and I don't know what your church background is or what your view is of the deacon ministry, but uh, in some churches, deacons are like pseudo-elders. They make the decisions of the church. Everything goes through the deacons, the deacon body. When I came to First Missionary almost 20 years ago, there was a group of men who were sitting in a room, and they served as deacons, and they told me real quick, they said, Brother Allen, we're not decision makers. We're not the church leaders. We're servants. And we don't ever want to be regarded as anything but servants. So when it comes to making decisions, there's other folks in the body. You have a role that you play. We are here to support the church. The church does not exist to support us. As deacons, we exist to support the body of Christ. So with that vein or that heart, over the many years that I've been pastoring at First Missionary, as we have called deacons to serve, that's continued to be the heart and the sentiment of men who serve as deacons. They are simply servants of the body. And you ask the question, well, what are they serving? What are they serving? They serve the church. They serve the church. And they serve the vision and the mission of the church. And some of you might be wondering, okay, what is the vision and mission of this church? What is this body about? What might make this body different than any other church or body that you might attend? I'll say this morning that there's a family that drove to First Missionary this morning. They live in Tennessee. They live an hour from here, and every single Sunday, they drive over an hour to come to church here. They're here this morning. I met them a few weeks ago. And I thought to myself, my goodness, how, you know, in an hour drive, how many other churches or bodies are you going to drive by to come here? What is it that makes us unique? What is it that makes us different under 
the umbrella of the body of Christ. What makes us unique? We believe that the heart and the root of our vision and mission is John chapter 1, verse 19. I'm sorry, verse 17. Sorry, there you go, verse 17. It's a place in the book of John where John introduces us to Jesus. First chapter, he introduces us to Jesus. He tells us who Jesus is. And then when you get to verse 17 in the first chapter of the book of John, John tells us something very special and unique about Jesus. And Jesus here is set in not just apposition alongside at this point in the text, but really set in almost opposition to Moses and to the law. Because you see, when Jesus came on this earth and he died on the cross and he was risen from the dead, he gave to us a new way to deal with God. And he gave to the Father a new way for the Father to deal with us. And it's on the basis of grace. Today, our relationship with Jesus Christ, our relationship with God through Christ is on the basis of grace. Not on what we do for God, but it's based on what God has done for us through Jesus. In John's day, a lot of people, through the law of Moses, were trying to make themselves right with God. Observing rules, observing regulations. They, they never felt like they could do enough. And, and that was the whole point of the law. And even Paul would tell us that. That was the whole point of the law. To lead people to a place that they cannot make themselves right with God. They cannot ever do enough. They can't be good enough. They can't achieve it on their own. They need someone to do it for them. Paul says that was the whole purpose of the law to begin with. To bring us to an awareness of, of Christ and the need for Christ. But once you come to Christ, that system of rules and regulations and trying to earn your way to the Father, that goes away. That's what the whole book of Hebrews is about. John, clearly focusing on the person of Jesus. He says, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. So what is our ministry about? Our ministry is about the grace and truth that is realized through Jesus Christ. In short, if you want to know the heart, the heart, the heart, the heart of what we believe God is trying to do here, it is put simply like this. Jesus plus nothing. It is Jesus plus nothing. Either the cross of Jesus Christ is sufficient for our relationship with God, or it's not sufficient at all. It's Jesus plus nothing. So if somebody comes alongside you, or you come up to someone and say, you go to church at First Mission, what is the heart of that church? What is the vision? What is the mission? It is to take the pure gospel of grace into our region and world. That's why we're here, to make an impact in our region and in our world with the pure gospel of grace. 
which is simply put, Jesus plus nothing. And it's not just coming to the cross and being saved that Jesus is sufficient. But it's also once you come to faith in Christ, He is still sufficient for your sanctification and your walk. Galatians, the chapter in Galatians is Galatians chapter 3. I'll never forget the first time I read through this. It just hit me like a ton of bricks. So, so John 1.17 is something we've embraced from day one. Grace and truth is realized through Jesus Christ. Grace and truth. Grace and truth. Grace and truth. And there's two ditches that churches can find themselves in today. One ditch is truth but no love. Truth but no love. We feel like we're right. We've got correct doctrine. And we are where God wants us to be and we're right and everybody else is wrong and we're going to let everybody else know that they're wrong. That's truth but no love. The other side, or the other ditch that churches can fall in today is love, but no truth. Love, but no truth. What you do is, is inconsequential. There's no consequences. It, it, there is no truth. There is no truth. Just, just do and be whatever. And here's what we believe here. We believe that everyone is accepted and welcome to the body of Christ. But once you encounter Jesus Christ, you cannot stay the same. We don't change you. No church can change you. Jesus can change you. But if there wasn't ever a need for change in your life, then Jesus would have never died on the cross. He died to bring about change. So people, just as they are without Christ, is not where God wants them to stay. Love without truth doesn't take into consideration that without Jesus Christ, people are lost and hopeless. And their future is not good. And their present is not good. They need Jesus. And the truth is that Jesus died for people to change them and to make them new. So where we try to be is we, we're not, we don't want to be that body that has truth but no love. And we don't want to be that body that has love but no truth. It is both. Love and truth. It is grace in truth, it's realizing Jesus. So our heart is to be a body that makes a difference in our region and in our world with the pure gospel of grace, which is Jesus plus nothing. In Galatians chapter 3, I want you to listen to this very carefully. Because these were believers who had come to accept Christ, but after coming to accept Christ, there was a group of individuals called Judaizers who were trying to place these believers back under the law. By saying, okay, you've accepted Jesus, 
But you still have to have Moses and the law to be made right with God. And you need to be circumcised to show that you're going to be faithful to the entire law. And the whole book of Galatians was written to help people to know that Jesus plus nothing is enough. Jesus plus nothing is enough. And in Galatians chapter 3, Paul writes and he pleads with them and he says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Was it Moses or was it Jesus? Was it the works of the law that you do under Moses or is it faith in Jesus? Is it really faith in Jesus alone? Is that how you begin this journey and receive the Spirit? Was it by the works of the law or was it by the hearing of faith? Faith in Christ. And that is a rhetorical question where the, where the answer is supplied in the question and the answer that they would say resoundingly would be, it was by hearing with faith. That's how we started this journey with Jesus. It is faith and faith alone. Not faith and a combination of anything else, but faith and faith alone. We receive the Spirit by our faith in Jesus. Not mixture of anything else, not anything else added to Jesus, but simply faith in Jesus alone. That's how we started this journey. That's how we received the Spirit. And then he says in verse 3, Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected or sanctified by the flesh? And the answer again comes back. No, we are not sanctified. We are not perfected by the flesh. But by the very same faith that started us in this journey, faith in Jesus, that's how we're going to keep going on this journey, and that's how we grow. And that's how we're sanctified. It starts by faith, and folks, it ends by faith. It starts with Jesus. It ends with Jesus. And everything in between is Jesus all over it. It's Jesus. Jesus alone. And Jesus plus nothing is enough. And Jesus plus, everything is, plus nothing is everything. Everything you will ever need to be made right with God and to continue in this journey of growing in Christ's likeness. That is a work that He does in and through you. It is not a work that you do to yourself. As we said this morning earlier, the Christian life is not about trying harder. It's about trusting more. Today, you have everything you need in Christ to live a victorious, free, and abundant life. It is Jesus plus nothing. And we think about Paul's words that the Spirit he who began a good work in you. He who began a good work in you. He will what? He 
who began a good work in you, he will do what? He will be faithful to complete it. I trust him more. And that's how I grow. So this is the heartbeat of us. And we believe that God has planted us here in this position for the purpose of taking the gospel of grace here locally, here regionally, and also wherever God may send us globally. What is First Missionary about? Jesus. Jesus plus nothing is enough. So today, as a body, we have a great vision and we have a great mission. And that is to take this good news to those who so desperately need it. And when you think about taking that to those who desperately need it, that's a lot of people. Amen? That's a lot of people. It's a lot of people. So we as a ministry, we're going to have to continue to do those things that the Spirit leads us to do, to grow, to reach, to love, to open our arms, and open our doors to people who so desperately need this message. And there are people who are willing to drive here every week over an hour. And it's not because we look so great or we smell so good or we just have a new building and new duds. It's because it's the message of the cross. Jesus plus nothing. So as we call men to serve, that's what they do. They serve the body in its vision and in its mission. So again, if anyone ever asks you, what is First Missionary about? You say, Jesus plus what? Jesus plus what? Jesus plus what? Jesus plus nothing. Because Jesus is good enough. And he's more than sufficient. So we rest on the sufficiency of the cross of Christ and the power of his resurrection. Today we are going to pray over some guys who have said that they are willing to serve in a special capacity as deacon servants in our church. And with that, I want you to look with me in Scripture at 1 Timothy chapter 3. When you get to 1 Timothy chapter 3, you will recognize these as qualities of people who serve in special capacities in the body of Christ. The first area or office, if you will, 
is called the office of overseer. Also, the office of overseer is synonymous in Scripture with that of bishop or elder. If you study the pastoral letters in Scripture, you'll see like elders and overseers or bishops, they are one and the same. And there's characteristics that Paul says these guys need to have in order to effectively serve. You say, Brother Allen, what are you? What am I? In the capacity of which I serve, in the capacity which our church recognizes, I serve in the capacity of elder. You can look in our Constitution bylaws of our church. We have one pastor elder. That is the pastor, the preacher. That's the office of which I serve. Here, it's identified as overseer. And here's some things that the Scripture says about this particular area of service. Paul wrote, he says, it is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, same as elder or bishop, it is a fine work he desires to do. And by the way, when you get to this place in Scripture, you say, well, Brother Allen, aren't you called pastor? Did you know that in the New Testament Scripture, the term pastor is never used. As a singular noun, the term pastor is never, ever used in the New Testament. And you can look it up. Term elder, bishop, overseer, they're used many times. Term pastor is never used. So you say, well, Brother Allen, then why in the world are you called a pastor? Because pastoring is what elders, overseers, and bishops do. It's the action of those who serve in the capacity. They pastor, which is a shepherding term, which means to oversee, to overlook, to lead, to guide, to nurture, as a shepherd would do. Sheep, that's what elders, pastors are called to do. They're called to serve and lead the body. Paul says, if any man aspires to the office of overseer, it's a fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious. You can Google that word to figure out what that means. I think it means quarrelsome, argumentative. But I could be wrong. <laughs> okay, y'all didn't catch that. Okay. Not addicted to wine, pernicious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? And not a new convert, so he'll not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. Which means, when you think about the condemnation that came to the devil, he became proudful. And fail, God does not want people who serve in the capacity as a pastor elder to become proudful, but to remain humble. And sometimes that takes, listen to me, it takes the seasoning of life to humble a person. That's why Paul says not to be a new convert. Because it could go to his head real quick. Two things God taught me years ago. 
about serving in this capacity that I think has helped me tremendously over the years, which will be 20 years this year as a pastor. Number one, God taught me, Alan, that's not who you are. That's what I've called you to do. But your identity is in Christ. What you do is not who you are. This is how I've called you to serve the body, but that's not your identity. You're a child of God, just like everybody in the church, everybody else in the church is a child of God. That's who you are. You are not special. You are not different. You're not above. You're not below anybody else. You're a child of God. That's your identity. But you will serve the body in a specific capacity as a pastor. So God taught me years ago, that's not who I am, but it's what I do. The other thing God taught me that I think has been huge in, in helping me over the years is He told me, don't ever have to have it. Don't ever have to have it. Don't ever have to have the position to feel significant, to feel loved, to feel important, to feel, feel valued and worth. God said to me years ago, your value, your worth, your significance is in me. Don't ever have to have it. Because if you ever have to have it, you will constantly be a people pleaser. And you'll never be able to please all people. You'll go crazy. You will be insane by the time you get to the end of the road. It's not who you are. Don't ever have to have it. And if you remember these things God taught me, you can be free to serve as my spirit leads. Through thick and thin, high, low, good times, bad times. And God has used the seasoning of life and life experiences to humble me many, many times. It says he must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he'll not fall into the reproach and snare of the devil. So he, just not, he must not just be thought well of in the body of Christ, but it's really good if he's thought well of in the community. And you ask the question, well, why? I thought he was called to serve the church. But you've got to remember that the purpose and vision of the church is to take the gospel to the community and to the world. So part of his mission is not within the body of Christ, but to lead the body of Christ to take the mission to the community and to the world. So it's a great idea if he has a good reputation with those outside the church. And then you come to verse 8. And Paul starts with the word deacons. And before we go into talking about deacons who serve, I want to remind you of something else that's really, really important in this passage of Scripture. All of these characteristics or qualities, they are present tense qualities. They are present tense qualities. They're qualities in a man's life that are observed in the present tense. None of these qualities have to do with his past. 
They have to do with His presence. If it had to do with His past, when it comes to ministry and service, then who's qualified? David? A murderer? A man of multiple wives? A deceiver? He would have never been able to serve. The Apostle Paul oversaw the death and stoning of Stephen on his way to Damascus to have other believers tried, arrested. Paul would have never been qualified. It had been his past. And by the way, who doesn't have some kind of past? I mean, the whole point of redemption in Christ is to save you from your what? Your sin and your past. So these are present tense qualifications. These are not past circumstances or past situations. It's very important that we understand that. Paul writes, he says, deacons must or likewise must be men of dignity. Not double-tongued or addicted to much wine. I guess they can be addicted to a little wine. I don't know. I'm just reading you the text. I'm sorry. It says, not, addi not addicted to much wine. It's just what it says. Not addicted to much wine or fond of sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. These men must also first be tested. In other words, observed, their lives observed, tested. A lot of times people say, you never call a deacon to serve. You identify those who are already serving. And just ask them to serve in a special capacity. And I think that's what we've done. I think we've identified some guys who've already been serving. And now they just serve in a special capacity. holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. These men must also first be tested. Let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. This does not mean that they've never made a mistake. Being beyond reproach does not mean they've never made a mistake. Does not mean they have to be perfect. It simply means that there is nothing that is shadowing their lives like a suspicious cloud. Because if you had to be perfect to serve, who would ever serve, right? If you had to be perfect to serve, who would ever serve? No one would ever serve. But to be beyond reproach means to have no cloud of suspicion over their lives. 
their banners clear. That presently they walk with the Lord, they're men of dignity, and they have these characteristics. And then verse 11 is interesting. It says, women must likewise be dignified. This is to be taken in two senses. Could be taken in two senses. Some take this to mean women who serve as deacons. In Romans 16 verse 1, the Apostle Paul identifies a lady by the name of Phoebe. And in Romans 16 1, he identifies her as a servant And the very same word that is used for deacon here is the exact same word that is used for servant in Romans 16.1. Some take this to mean women who could serve as deacons. Others take this to mean the wives of deacons. The wives of deacons who serve. And you say, well, why would that be important? I'm going to tell you why it's important. A man is only as good as the woman who stands behind him. Can I get an amen, guys? Every man in this place ought to say amen. A man is only as good as the woman who's standing beside him or behind him. Amen? I just served you up one. Whether you hit it out of the park or not, that's up to you. When you're called to do anything, and you're married, your spouse is along for the journey with you. I can take you to guys right now who started off in ministry, whether as a a deacon or a pastor, and they didn't make it very long. Because their family wasn't behind them. I can take you to guys I love who were tremendous. Men of God's teachers, leaders. But they couldn't make it very long. Because their spouse didn't support them. I can honestly tell you today. If it wasn't for the support of my wife, Emily. I would have never made it a day in ministry. Never a day. You do not know how many times I come home and I want to quit. And I'm seeing things all squirrely and square. And God just uses her to help me. To help me to see things the way I need to see them. And there's never, ever been a time that she ever suggested or implied or inclined that I could not do what God called me to do. She's tempered me. She's calmed me. When I had crazy ideas, she told me I was crazy. And when I was scared, she said, go for it. If the Lord be with you, who can be against you? And God was teaching me, if she loves Jesus, and she's with me, 
who can be against me? So we could take this to mean that these men have supportive wives. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. He says deacons must be husbands of only one wife or husbands of one wife and good managers of their children and their own households. Greek scholars tell us that this word husband of one wife simply means one woman kind of man. A man who's not a womanizer, he is not flirtatious, but he is faithful to the woman he is currently married to. Why is that important? So that all the other guys in the church can trust his heart. And not worry about him being flirtatious or womanizing. He's clearly devoted to the wife he is currently married to. The scripture does not imply that he has to be married. Does not imply that he has to be married. If he had to be married, Paul would have never served. Jesus would have never served. Both of those guys were never married. Also does not imply, does not mean that he can be only married one time. That would nullify a guy who is married, his wife dies, and then he remarries. So a remarried widower would be disqualified. That's not what it means. There's also nothing in the biblical text that suggests that he cannot have a past where he went through a divorce. Again, all of these are present day qualifications or characteristics. They do not speak to a man's past. And I want you to know very, very clearly, regardless of what you've been through in your life, Today, no matter what's happened to you, what you've done, even if you've been through a divorce, there are no second-class citizens in the body of Christ. None. You are not a second-class citizen in this body. There are no second-class citizens in the body of Christ. We are saved by grace. We are kept by grace. It is grace that gets us home. And none of us would be where we were today or today if it were not for the grace of God. So regardless of your past, your past does not disqualify you from being used of the Lord today. And you are welcome to take this section of Scripture Apply it to the best language scholarship and see where it leads you in regards to how you view these ministries. So today there's four guys that our deacon body took before our church several months ago and said, we think these guys are willing and ready to serve in this capacity as deacons. And so I'm going to call these guys off, and then what we're going to do is we're going to have a special 
commissioning prayer over them. And we're just going to ask that they come forward and they come with their families and there's four chairs right here in the front. Their families are to stand behind them because it symbolizes the support and love of their family that they are in this together. Not all the guys' families could be here today and that's okay. We know that families are pulled in a million different directions. So I'll just call them off and these guys come forward and then we're going to have a special prayer of commissioning over them. Uh, Dustin Abel, his wife is Shay. They have two children, Sam and Kate. Taylor Hicks, his wife is Stephanie. They have a little girl, Elsie Kate. Trent Lovett. His wife is Lisa. Their children are Tucker and Gabby. And we remember Landon, a very precious daughter of their life as well. That makes them who they are today. We also have coming forward Greg Lynch. His wife is Leanne. Their children are Gage, Ellie Kate, Kate, Ellie Kate, sorry, Rex, Carol Ann. This is like Father Abraham. I think I'm reading his genealogy up here. And William. So these families come forward today, already been recommended, already been given the Amen and yes of our church body. And now, if you've ever been commissioned or ordained, we would love for you to come and stand around these families. Just get up from where you are. If you've been commissioned or ordained as a deacon previously, or maybe you're visiting today, you were commissioned or ordained as, a, as an elder or a pastor, it, whether you're a member of this body or not, we don't care. Just go ahead and come around these families if you would. We're going to lay hands on them, and we are recognizing that we are setting them apart today to serve in this special capacity in our church. And then what we're going to do, I'm going to have the rest of our church family to stand up, please. Let's everybody else just stand up. And if you would, as best as you can, I want you to reach forward, and I want you to reach a hand forward. And let's just serve, let's just create this one con continuous line of hands that connect all of us. They connect all of us. If you can't reach them, just hold your hand up toward them. Like that right there. And we're going to have a very special commissioning prayer. You guys who are around them right now, would you please just go ahead, under your breaths, would you go ahead and just start lifting them up to the Lord, praying for them, praying for their families. Today we're setting them apart to serve in the special capacity. Jamie, would you please come and join me on the platform? And I know I didn't ask you to do this previously, but would you mind just praying over these guys and their families? Heavenly Father, we just uh, thank you for this opportunity this morning to come together, to worship you, to live in truth, 
and to just thank you for the many blessings that you have bestowed upon all of us individually and collectively as a body, Father. Today, we offer up these men and their families to you, Father, for your service. We know their hearts. We know their minds. We trust them, and we trust that you have called them to serve. So, Father, we thank you for their obedience. We thank you for their diligence. We thank you so much for their supporting families. And, Father, we just pray your protection over them as they come to serve. We pray that you continue to work on their hearts, to reveal to them how to serve. And, Father, we just pray that we collectively as a body would come around them and empower them in their service, Father. And, Lord, we just uh, we thank you so much for the opportunity to serve. Just pray that all of us individually continue to look for how we may serve you and serve the body of Christ, and in doing so, further the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, brother. I'm going to have these guys going back with their families. and Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise for these guys, their lives, and their service to their families and their community and their service to the body of Christ. And we just th are so thankful for them and how God's going to use them in the days to come. And folks, let me say this, and, and you can be seated. We're going to dismiss in just a second. Let me just say this real quick. Again, this is just being unplugged today, just kind of shooting from the hip. Uh, I am just so, so encouraged, so encouraged by the body of Christ at First Missionary. So encouraged. Yesterday, we had a service day. We brought a lot of stuff over from the old building. We left a lot of stuff. It was a work day. Uh, we took some things that we needed here. So many of you just showed up and you served. We've ministered families who were hurting and bereavement over the last several weeks. You've been so faithful. You've just served. A couple of Wednesday nights ago, we shared with our church family that we have a bit of a Goliath in our midst. Everyone has Goliaths in their midst from time to time, right? We have a bit of a Goliath, a challenge, if you will, in the life of our body. We have gotten all the billing in from this facility, and it has cost us more than we realized it was going to cost us, things that were outside of our control. And we as a church family, as a church body, we have a tremendous opportunity ahead of us to embrace this, to walk forward, to see how God uses us, to finish doing what he started here. You say, Brother Allen, why do you call this a Goliath? I'm going to read this to you real quick. Why do you call this a Goliath? I call this a Goliath because when we moved over here, my heart was already beginning to see the future. I mean, we were in the building a few weeks, and we've already reached capacity in a lot of our rooms. We were already thinking, okay, God, there's more for us here as a body. There's expansion that's needed here on this property. My heart in praying and thinking and preparing for this day, we were thinking we would move in the building we wouldn't have huge financial challenges, and we'd be ready to go with our future. 
We've been growing in children's ministry, youth ministry, kids ministry, adult ministry. Today, we even stand, we need three to four new adult teachers today. We have one class that has an enrollment of 68 people on the row. Effective classes are 10 to 15 in number. They can be more, they can be less. We could use three to four teachers even now. Our challenge is where to put them, where to put new classes. I got this from a lady just this past week. I want to share this with you because this speaks of a need in our body as well for the service. As many of you know, we offer children's church for kids up to age four right now. We would love to expand that to at least the second grade. If we had a few more servants, we could make this happen. Listen to this. I'm a single grandparent who has grandkids ages five and six. On weekends, single grandparent raising her grandkids. I'm looking for a church that has a kid's worship so I can enjoy a worship service myself without having to police two small children. Do you offer kids church? This was sent to our, web, our Facebook page messages this past week. At this point, if there isn't a kid's church, I pretty much just wearing myself out. And not getting much out of the service. Again, this is a single grandparent with children ages five and six. So they would be older, too old for our current kids' church. Checking to see what you have. Again, single grandparent ages five and six. Looking for a church that has a kids' worship. So I can enjoy a worship service with myself. Without having to police two small children. Do you offer kids' church for this age? At this point, if there isn't a kids' church, I'm pretty much just wearing myself out. I'm thinking single grandparent. She's probably wore out anyway. Amen? Let alone coming to church and in the service trying to help her children to be still and calm. And I mean, she's, she's got a job that, that a grandparent shouldn't have to have, right? So I didn't reply to her. Because I, I believe God's putting it on our heart to offer and to expand this ministry for people like this. But we can't do it till we have some other people who are willing to serve. So we have financial challenges. We have room challenges. We have people challenges. But I don't see them as problems. Just challenges. But they're ours. And a couple of weeks ago on Wednesday night, we shared these challenges, some of these challenges with our church. And I said to our church family, my heart is whatever it takes. We will do whatever it takes. We will do whatever it takes. And I'm asking you to adopt the heart. We will do whatever it takes to take this vision and this mission to our region and to our world. Whatever it takes. And you guys, in that meeting when we left, our guys who shared that report of where we are today, they were scared to death. They were nervous. They thought they were going to get stoned and ran out of town. You loved them. And you encouraged them. And so many of you have came to them and said, God's blessed us. And he's not going to stop. But here's where I want you to be praying as we leave today. We're going to stand. And our guys are going to come forward. The challenge where we are today 
is that God is calling us to meet these needs. God's calling us to meet these needs. And it's on all of us to figure out how we can meet these needs. Financial goals, ministry goals, financial challenges, ministry challenges. The Goliath that seems to stand there today needs to go so we can press on in the future in ministry. So me and my family, we've been talking, and we've been talking about giving. And there's one thing that I want you to know. Your giving makes a difference. It really does. Your giving makes a difference. I'm going to ask you to pray, to be spirit-led in how you can do what God's called us to do. Don't know what it's going to look like for you or your family. Some of you already given much time, your resources. Some of you today, God might be saying, it's time to be all in. It's time to be all in. It's time to be all in. However God's leading you over the next several weeks and months, we're going to try to keep you updated and informed on where we are. And I know that God can do this through us, but he's going to do it through us. So we're going to close our service and take up our offering today. And we do this at, at just the end of the, the, the church service, just to, to remind everyone that the opportunity to give is there. It's there. So Kayla, you lead us in time of offering. These guys are going to pass our offering buckets today. Let's pray and dedicate this. Lord, as we close this service today. Thanks for joining us on the First Missionary Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. That's it for this week's teaching, but you can always find more on our website, firstmissionary.net. We'd also like to encourage you to like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram and Twitter, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you benefited from this week's lesson, be sure to share it with your friends and family, then leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Thanks again for listening, and God bless.